And welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And uh, this is, uh, I just want to say Happy New Year to the investigative editor of The Shoestring, the extraordinary investigative reporter, Dusty Christensen. Hello, Dusty. Happy New Year to y'all. Yeah, really. Uh, we uh, always look forward to uh, talking with you on air and off air and reading The Shoestring for those incredible articles that you write. Um, so, can you uh, tell us what's, what's a brewing right now in the shoestring article? Well, you know, it, it, every year around this time, uh, I'll be totally candid, as reporters, often this is the slowest time of year for, for news. You know, the city council has, is reorganizing itself, for example. Uh, but otherwise, there's not too much going on in the news world around this time. So we always like to take this time of year to either look back on the year that we just had or to sort of look forward at what comes next for 2024. I think that's what we should all do this time I, of year. I think so. I think it's a great time for reflection especially. And as we began to think about the biggest stories of 2023 – Obviously, the thing that just kept coming to mind for us over and over and over again was this wildly hot and wet year that we had. Obviously, we all remember in July that there was these there were these massive floods up in Vermont and here in in the valley that totally destroyed a, a lot of farms around, really damaged the crops and livelihoods of a lot of farmers, and it obviously caused all sorts of other impacts to uh, municipal infrastructure, to people's homes, et cetera. So I started. I just want to add: we're always climatologists always warn us to distinguish weather from climate change, and we should. But my wife and I, uh, Marcin and I, just went to see a movie, The Holdovers, at Amherst Cinema. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, filmed in this region at Shelburne Falls and Deerfield Academy. And there's snow everywhere. Mm -hmm. It was filmed a few years ago, and there's snow everywhere. And I look out my window right now at 1,500 feet above sea level, and there's no snow, and I can't help but be struck by that. Yeah, you know, I've been struck by it too, and it was one of the reasons why we decided to dig into some of this data to try to understand how 2023 stacks up against previous years uh, that we've had. And maybe unsurprisingly, the, the data show that we are living in a warming climate. Um, this past year, was the fifth hottest on record in the Amherst area. It's sort of, you can look at data a number of different ways uh, when you're looking at how hot or how wet a year was, for example. Uh, we decided to look at a couple of different um, locations, but one of which is in Amherst. It's one of the National Weather Service's uh, cooperative observer programs. Uh, that's an, a really old program that relies on uh, volunteers to collect daily weather observations. And that Amherst location has been around since 1836, collecting wow. data from all the way back uh, to then. So it's one of the most established here in southern New England. 190 years. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a pretty amazing program. And, you know, based on the data that they recorded this past year was the fifth hottest on record in that Amherst area and, um, and the fourth wettest on record. July 2023, unsurprisingly, because we saw those, those, um, those floods, was the wettest July ever recorded based on that Amherst data with, with a little more than 13 inches of rain in that one month alone. So, um, you know, obviously we can talk about, as you say, weather and also climate. And when you talk to climatologists about why we're experiencing these kinds of things, a lot of them point to the weather whiplash that we are seeing across the globe as a result of a warming climate, as a result of climate change due to 
humans carbon emissions and 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 uh, methane emissions um, and the sort of runaway climate change that our society is causing so um, it, we're going to continue to see these kinds of whiplashes as the region gets uh, warmer it's also getting wetter the warmer air can hold more moisture and many are expecting that that warmer uh, climate is able to to dump way more rain in a shorter amount of time, leading to the kind of floods that we saw in July. And not just in July. In, on December 18th, there was these huge rains that flooded a whole bunch of areas. I, I know I saw that on Growed Food Northampton's uh, social media. They were posting that their community farm once again got flooded over uh, as the um, as the Mill River flooded its banks and spilled over Meadow Street. It flooded, uh, you know, much of the leased land and community garden plots over there. So it's something that we're definitely focusing on, and I know that municipal leaders here in our region are focusing on as well. So Dusty Christensen, as the investigative editor of the Shoestring, when the Shoestring decides to look into something, in this case, local climate. Um, what's the process for making a determination, yes, this is something we want to spend our investigative resources on? You know, I think it's like any other newsroom. We tend to have meetings on a, on a Monday to sit around or in our case, uh, you know, meet digitally and decide what are the big stories that week and what do we want to pursue We've always got much bigger stories on our plates that we're sort of slowly moving up the hill until we can eventually get them to a place where we can publish. Uh, but always in the meantime, we want to be focusing on some of those more uh, short-term stories so we can be sure that our readers have uh, important stories to read throughout the year and aren't just waiting on these big investigations to finally come to fruition. There's some of those that are going to come to fruition in the next week or two, so be on the lookout. But, um, but in the meantime, yeah, we always sort of sit down and talk about what the news stories are for the week. And because we're not a daily newspaper, you know, the Gazette uh, will will cover uh, or at least try to cover every little development in municipal news, which is you know, what they do really well. We as a shoestring like to sit down and say, you know, what are the stories that are not being told that we can be telling or what's the angle that every other news outlet missed? And so we hadn't seen this story done yet. Uh, I imagine this will be up on our website sometime today or, or early tomorrow. So, Dusty... What do you do as a reporter with the counter-narrative, which is there is no climate change uh, and or it's exaggerated and or it's not just human activity and fossil fuels? Do you deal with that at all or do you take this uh, scientific and also progressive view and say, we all know there's climate change? Let's let's deal with it on that basis. Yeah, I th you know, surprisingly, I don't get too much mail from readers challenging the existence of climate change when I write about the topic. I'm sure that it's different for other reporters that maybe bigger news outlets or in or different areas you. of the country, perhaps. Or, or in different areas of the country. Exactly. You know, sadly, I know that kind of misinformation is out there. Um, but, I, you know, if you look at polling, I think the vast majority of Americans can see what's before their eyes, that there's no snow at times when there used to be snow, that there's more rain in the winter or in the summer here or in other parts of the country, that there's uh, massive droughts impacting the world. I think that really the big misinformation that we should be focused on as, as reporters is the misinformation coming from fossil fuel companies who are greenwashing their records, putting themselves out there claiming that they are leading the charge in, in 
in dealing with climate change and in trying to make the planet a more livable place. Obviously, they're pushing the gas as we all head for the precipice. We're, we're speeding faster and faster towards the cliff, and they want to push the gas even harder. So I think um, it's important to focus on, on that misinformation and to shoot it down as much as we can as, as reporters. This is Dan. Can you uh, discuss a little bit more about the cost to farmers and food? I mean, I think if people are going to start feeling this in their pocketbooks and directly, it, it would come down to the farmers, the local farmers that everybody loves and depends on for the local produce, right? UMass buys a massive quantity of local produce. I mean, we'll start start seeing this trickle into uh, our lives, right, directly that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it's going to have impacts on people's pocketbooks. I mean, we've seen tons of inflation this year in a whole bunch of areas of our lives. And these floods, obviously... Uh, damaged a lot of crops locally, leading to us having less local produce here in our area. You know, just anecdotally in my own experience, for example, we get a, a, a um, we participate in the in the CSA through Mountain View Farm in East Hampton, a terrific farm. They do an amazing job every year. Their their crops were totally flooded out this year, and so you know the CSA that we paid for as a family, we didn't end up receiving many crops from that farm this year. Uh, and obviously, that's the that's the risk that you take when you do a CSA, and we're going to continue to do it with Mountain View every year because that's how you support farmers. You support them through the good and the bad, and there's always going to be a bad year as a farmer. It's a it's a difficult task, but um, but yeah, obviously that that led to a pretty significant cost in our pocketbook this summer, and I'm sure a lot of other people felt the same. I, I want to go back again to sort of an inside look at how the shoestring makes its determinations. There are a lot of people who are uh, climate activists. And who think, yes, covering the police is important, shoestring. Yes, covering local government is important. But nothing is more important than we're not going, our survival is at stake. And the number one story, which we should be covering, not just during slow periods like, you know, New Year's time, but all the time, is climate. It, and yet, so many people just turn off to it. They'll read the first paragraph or two in, in an article, and then they'll just, as soon as we get into science, they'll just click off. How does uh, a, a paper, an entity like the shoestring, navigate those waters? You know, that's a great question. I think that uh, really I always think, and I tell my students at UMass this who are studying news writing and reporting, that if somebody clicks away from our article after a paragraph or two, that's our fault as writers for not being engaging enough, for not hooking people in at the top of the article with what they care about, with what matters, and getting them to read further in the article. You know, that's why as news reporters, I could I can confidently say I probably spend about 80% of my time working on the first two or three paragraphs of a story that might have 20, 30 plus paragraphs in it. It's that important to hook readers in, to get them interested in the topic that we're writing about, because sometimes climate change can be dull, or sometimes municipal finance can be dull, but the implications are huge, and it's our job to communicate that information effectively, and part of being an effective writer is keeping people reading. And how about being an effective researcher? It must get difficult when it gets very weedy, when you have to look at cherry sheets and the like. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. I think that one of the challenges I had as a reporter early on is that I never had that 
education in municipal finance. And I was fortunate enough working at the Gazette for so long to be able to learn on the job some of that stuff. But um, I do think that it's something journalism programs need to do a better job at uh, at teaching reporters. And um, I know that as the shoestring, we are perhaps going to be doing um, maybe a sneak preview here, some, uh, some classes for people who might want to report for the shoestring out in the community uh, who are interested in writing and want to learn more about the process of reporting. We're probably going to do at least one or two educational events this year talking about that process. And I'm sure that a, a very simple primer on municipal finance will probably be part of that. How do you figure out the first sentence and when do you figure it out? The first sentence that we refer to in the business as the lead, which bizarrely enough, we spell L-E-D-E. I, I know there's some historical reason for that based on newspapers. And I was confused with lead, L-E-D-E. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, and so, you know, the lead, there's sort of two ways you can go about it. It's either a traditional news lead, which answers all of the questions right up front, who, what, when, where, why, uh, immediately. So people know what the news is when they read the very first sentence. Uh, but oftentimes, we're also trying to hook readers in. Um, the New York Times once described it as grabbing somebody by their lapels and, you know, sort of screaming the story in their face, like the, 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 writing it and, and telling it in such a way that they cannot help but continue to read. So oftentimes that's using an interesting anecdote and doing the kind of storytelling that you might see if you're at a bar with friends and your, your friends are telling you a story about what happened to the city council. You know, they're not going to say, well, fiscal year 2024, the cherry sheet really looked, you know, you're going to be immediately long. But if they begin a story and said, saying, well, you're not going to believe what happened in City Hall the other day, and it has really big implications for the way we live in the city, they're going to be interested. I guess in for a dime, in for a dollar, what's a cherry sheet? <laughs> that might be another. That might be a good question for, uh, for another day. That one might take a little longer to explain. That's about $10, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it is, and they are hard to read, and I, I've had to learn it as a town, local town official. And uh, I know far, I know far less than I need to know in order to. But cherry sheets, seriously, it's it's the color of the paper, right? I I I I don't actually know the reason why it's called that. Maybe it is the color of the paper. And it has to do with money that what what what's the information on there at all? Yeah, it 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 has to do with the sort. It's everything from what's raised and appropriate that is obtained through taxation. There are a, a municipality might use money from various uh, funds that it has. It could be a trust that somebody had. It could be money that's coming from fees or what they call revolving funds. And the cherry sheet is very difficult to read. And so you look at a particular thing. We need to do a capital expense on a new snowplow, and where's the money going to come and from? That, and, and now we understand why it's not the first sentence. I really appreciate the explanation. <laughs> That's exactly right. But what I really want to talk to Dusty Christensen about, in addition to this important article that's coming out on the shoestring, probably digitally today, um, by the way, what's the title of the article? Oh, I don't know. You know, my, my editor, Brian Zayat, is such a good uh, headline writer. I'm, I'm always so bad at it. Editors... It, that's just such a particular skill that editors tend to have. And oftentimes I'll sort of write a draft headline and then come back to see something way better on it. So. I understand. Bill Newman is much better at that sort of thing than <laughs> I am, so I leave it to him. But I, do, I want to talk about local news outlets in general and the accelerating pace with which they mm. are failing and we're being left bereft of this extraordinarily important resource in our life. We're continuing our conversation with investigative editor of The Shoestring, Dusty Springfield, a segment we call Dust Ups. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we're back with our dust-up segment with Dusty Christensen, the investigative editor of The Shoestring, the investigative reporter extraordinaire. Um, Dusty, I'm concerned that I think many, many other people are concerned. You worked for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. You had had a storied run there, and now you're working for The Shoestring, an extraordinary investigative um, news outlet for regional stuff. And um, there is a decline. 65 million people, I just read uh, a couple weeks ago in the United States, 65 million people are without a local newspaper. They're getting their information uh, from online sources which are unreliable and often crazy. And they don't have uh, what we still have not to the extent that we wish we had it, but we still have local news outlets um, like the Gazette, like Mass Live, like the Recorder, like the Shoestring. Can you talk to us about this de- decline in uh, this resource that we have? Yeah, it's a really troubling thing. And I saw that Northwestern University did put out a study, I think it was just last Thursday, that found uh, that the decline of local news in the United States, perhaps unsurprisingly, is speeding up. Uh, despite the attention that that so many of us are paying to this issue, I know it's one that you all have talked about a lot on this show as well. Uh, the nation has lost one third of its newspapers and two thirds of its newspaper reporters since 2005. That study found, and I think people don't sometimes realize what the actual impacts are in their backyard when we talk about those kinds of things. Study after study has shown that the presence of a robust local news ecosystem leads to less corruption. It leads to lower taxes in communities. It leads to a stronger community that knows what's going on with its neighbors. So many positives that come from the presence of a strong local newspaper or radio station or TV station or or the combination of all of them. And that is what we're losing as local news shrinks and shrinks. I know that I hear that kind of thing from plenty of people who, who tell me that you know, there's there's less local news for them to, to consume than there used to be. Uh, those are the implications of it. And we are seeing it here locally. We still do, as you say, have tremendous local newspapers, the Gazette, the Recorder, the Republican. They're all doing amazing work. But if you compare that work to what they were doing, say, a decade ago or two decades ago, it it pales in comparison. They have fewer resources and so, you know, it is incumbent on us as people within this news industry to find creative ways to keep, not only keep ourselves afloat, but keep ourselves thriving, but also to really push back and challenge some of those big forces in our society that are, frankly, murdering local news and, and destroying local news. I, I think this is a story that does have a villain, and it's the, the hedge funds of the world like Alden Globe Capital. It is Facebook and Google, which continue to suck up advertising revenue despite making no content uh, originally themselves. They're selling ads on the stuff that we make as news reporters. So I think that it's a, it's a big challenge. We really need to be focused on a lot more, and hopefully we will be in this new year as an election approaches. Bill, as a, as a columnist for the Daily Hampshire Gazette and as a journalist yourself, uh, what's the consequence of losing our local news outlets? Well, I would look at what happened in Holyoke when the mm-hmm. Holyoke transcript telegram, telegram transcript folded. And there were a, 
at some attempts to, to fill that space with local papers. But I think it is an underreported story, not surprisingly, because the story is yeah. about the death of the newspaper. That really was, in many ways, the heart of the, the, heart of the city, uh, founded by the Dwight family. Uh, and I think that it, it is an apocryphal story, and I think that a lot of the same things would happen in Northampton and the Valley if the Gazette were to fold, if the Recorder were to fold. Not to be too cliched, but you don't know what's got till it's gone. Thank you, Joni Mitchell. Boy, would we see it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I should note that the Dwight family that uh, that did own uh, Holyoke's newspaper also owns the the Daily Hampshire Gazette, uh, the Recorder, the the Concord Monitor as well. So they do continue to operate papers here locally. In newspapers of New England. That's right. It's the newspapers in New England. Right. I didn't I didn't realize that the Dwight family had uh, ownership interest in newspapers of New England. Yep. Yep. That's them. Yeah, and we owe them a debt of gratitude, and and uh, I, I think. We have to support our local news outlets. We do. I think some of this is incumbent on us as well. You know, it used to be that everyone paid for local news if they got their local newspaper, et cetera. Uh, people want it for free now. And I think that if you can afford to, to pay for local news, whether that's subscribing to your local newspaper or donating to making a, a tax deductible donation to the shoestring, you, you can do that and you should do that. Well, that's a model that, in fact, has been widely replicated now as the antidote to uh, uh, news outlets, local news outlets failing economically, which is to turn them into nonprofits so that they can receive grants, so they can receive donations, and therefore can be effectively subsidized in their news reporting because ads per se, the, 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 the su great sucking sound you hear is those ads going to Google and Facebook and other uh, platforms. Very hard to compete with, with that and no economy of scale. Anyway, uh, the nonprofit model, I think, we're going to see more and more of as the way to try to protect and preserve local news. But yeah. also to subscribe. I think we have an obligation to subscribe. We all talk about democracy or representative democracy and the importance of it, but without being informed, especially locally, I mean, we, you know, you, you rub elbows with your, with your uh, mayor at, in, in the supermarket you know, line as you're at the register. And the way to really understand what the issues are is through local news outlets. We otherwise just blindly go through our life and, and uh, democracy suffers. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I, I don't want to take blame away from the big actors that really are taking a, a hurting industry and trying to drive it uh, into the ground. Um, but, right, it is also incumbent on all of us if we want that kind of local news ecosystem to support it, just like you support your local farmers, just like you support your local businesses. Subscribe to that local newspaper or donate to your local nonprofit news outlet, uh, whether it be New England Public Media or, or us at the Shoestring. We are fiscally sponsored through a nonprofit, which means that tax uh, that donations to us can be tax deductible as well. So um, so I think it's important to support the work that you care about. Well, have to ask you then, how can people subscribe to or donate to the Shoestring? That's a great question. Um, uh, head over to theshoestring.org. Uh, all of our information is there. There's a subscribe button at the top where you can enter your email address and subscribe to our emails. I promise we do not bombard your inbox, but rather uh, send uh, uh, emails occasionally with the important stories that we've worked on. And there's always a link there where you can donate. Uh, at the top of theshoestring.org, there is a donate button as well where you can learn more how to, how to donate. This is Dan. Um, 
if I only have three or four dollars that I can donate per month, does that make a difference, or is that too small to make a difference? Everything, everything makes a difference. Um, you know, especially uh, because. It allows you to contribute whatever it is that you can contribute. If you contribute $3,000, amazing. If you can contribute $3, that's fine too. I think the idea is more that you're invested and you're putting that commitment forward to that local news outlet uh, in whatever capacity that you can. And it, it is not like that's it's some uh, sort of bonus. It, it goes to the heart of who we are as a community. Uh, it's where we can uh, find out about our neighbors, find out about those people that we elect to do our business. It's really important. I can't thank you enough for being here with us, Dusty Christensen. And uh, as the investigative editor of The Shoestring, thank you for all you and The Shoestring do. Thanks so much. Happy New Year, y'all. Happy New Year to you. And we are going to be back with Senator Paul Mark right after this. When the sky was full of This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.